Blog Talk Radio. From the offices of Lies in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, this is Dr. Ross Green coming to you. For the first time in about three months, it's time for helping behaviorally challenging students. Uh, It's great to be back with you today. Um, School has started almost everywhere. And, um, well, the kids are back, the behaviorally challenging students included. And um, the goal to make this year go better than last year. Uh, We're going to start the year off with um, an educators panel program. We usually do this on the first Monday of every month, but the first Monday of the month of September 2013 was uh, taken up by Labor Day here in the United States, and I think in Canada as well, if I'm not mistaken. So we're doing it on the second Monday, but we'll be back to the first Monday of the month in October. So we're going to start with our educators panel, and I'm going to hear... Uh, how things are going in their buildings with the model, now called Collaborative and Proactive Solutions. I am legally prohibited from calling it Collaborative Problem Solving at this point. Um, So Collaborative and Proactive Solutions it is. You'll be able to find more information about why I am legally prohibited from calling it by the name I originated um, on the Lives in the Balance website sometime soon. But in the meantime, on to the more important things, the kids and uh, the educators panel. We have one panel member on with us live, and I know that this is either Tom or Nina. Which one is it? Uh, It's Nina. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. Thank you. You you have the honor of being the first to call in. I think 3.30 is Eastern time, which is the end of the school day. Very hard time for uh, you all to call in. Of course, Carol has no excuses. She's in the middle of her school day, but the middle of the school day can be pretty busy, too. Um, I appreciate you calling in. How was your summer? Oh, very nice. It was a very nice summer, just getting ready for the school year and relaxing as well. So a good balance. Great. Good. While we are waiting for – and I, what I was going to do is ask each of you um, what you're doing with the model this school year to kick things off. Um, Collaborative and Proactive Solutions is going strong in your building. And I know that you have made a change in your building to take things even further. I hope that's something that you're interested in telling us about. Are you? Oh, absolutely. Yes. we. Um, have, sure, we've done some redesigning and building-wise and also position-wise, and we really felt like we had a need for just an area or a place where children could go to do some problem-solving and that that would be the focus. So we have a learning center, we call it, and it's just a beautiful, relaxed, calming space where children can – the goal of it is to – problem solve and to figure out what's going on to get get in the way of being successful in their classroom and you have space and time to work that out 
so that they can um, get back in their classroom and do do the, do the things that they need to do to be successful. So, so far it's been wonderful. We really have set up some good structures for it so that teachers and the learning center teacher and classroom teachers have worked together to do the LSEP together to see where the lagging skills are to define the problem before the students can access the learning center, and then um, you know then they're able to figure out what times are going to be appropriate. Like, is it is a student struggling in math, and then they can actually access the learning center during math time with the hopes to solve the problem to get back into the regular classroom for math. So that's that's what we really spent our first staff meeting a couple of hours really figuring it out so that we all have the same definition and lens for what that room is because if it was misconstrued as a detention room or a you know a room that you go when you're when you're not behaving that it could just totally go the wrong way so our whole staff is really on board we we did the vision and mission together um to what it looks like so we are it's been wonderful so far in the 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 learning center teacher is just so on board, and she's, you know, she's doing great. So that's, that's so far. fantastic. And and so yeah. the way it works is that if a child is having difficulty, they would go to this room. What are you calling it again? A learning center. And yeah. that, of course, would occur in the heat of the moment, or would that would this be a scheduled? It's a schedule. It, it has to. The, Go ahead. Well, the te- the teachers meet when the teacher starts noticing that a child's having some trouble during a certain time of the day. She then meets with the learning center teacher and myself and the counselor, and we do the ALSEP. So you can't access the learning center until you do the ALSEP and really figure out where the problems are. So then it's it's a scheduled time because it, it has it's proactive, but during that time, they are the learning center teacher and the child are working on the problems to get them back in the classroom. So that's the real hope. But, of course, it could be that part of a child's problem-solving plan is that they access the learning center throughout the day. Um, You know, if they just need a place to go and touch base with a learning center teacher or uh, take a a break, then that could be part of their plan. So it's really individualized. That's what we see Mm -hmm. the need for it. which is really nice. And it's all oriented around solving problems collaboratively, and I, it sounds like preferably proactively. Is there an emergent option in there? Not that that would be tragic, but it seems like with a room like that, um, it could also be a place where a kid comes to just chill until, well, until whatever, or did you not design it to have that piece as well? It has, it, we do have that piece as long as everyone understands that it's not a crisis center, so it's not to go to, for a student in crisis. That's going to be, you know, those are other other things that might happen, but it could certainly be if we notice a child needs a time to go and and, you know, and just relax, that has to be part of their plan. So if you notice that you have a student that might just need to touch base with an extra adult a couple times during the day, as long as it's kind of... Um, talked about beforehand and and the ALSEP has done is completed that child could start accessing that throughout the day so it just it. as long it always has to be always has to be pre-planned or else it could just turn into a crisis room and not proactive that's that's not what we wanted to have happen so 
Got but it. there are certainly Got some it. children that just need to touch base with somebody a couple times throughout the day just to get that coaching, too, and support to get back into the classroom, but um, to be successful. Got it. We have been yeah. joined by Carol and Tom. Hi, Carol. Hello. Hi, Tom. Hello, Ross. How are you doing? Oh, very good. Very good. It's been a nice start to the school year this year. Good. Carol, the same? Yes, very well. I'm at a new school, and we had a really great start-up, and it's already feeling like home. We would, we're would. we going to hear more about it. Nina was just telling us, I'm, I'm going to be asking you all, Carol, you're in a new school, um, how you're kicking off collaborative and proactive solutions today. Because I filmed Tom recently at his school, Nina as well, I know how hard it is for Tom not to use the original name of the model, collaborative <laughs> problem solving. He, he, it is a mental block for him. Um, right. but here's, we'll have a little competition today. Each time he says it, as he inevitably will, we will correct him and say, no, it's collaborative and proactive solutions now. Um, but, oh, uh, collaborative well, and proactive. Okay, I've got to write that down. There you go. Um, as as many people know, I am legally prohibited now from using the name of the model that I originated. So gotcha. it's collaborative and proactive solutions or bust at this point, um, at least until the United States First Circuit Court of Appeals weighs in on the issue, and then we'll find out what it's really called. Um, in the meantime, Nino is telling us about the more important part, and that is what is she? She's, she's made an important change in her building this year around the model. Um, has a um, classroom called the Learning Center that has been set up almost exclusively for proactive Plan B discussions to take place, which is about as cool as it gets. Yep. Um, but, uh, Cal, I know you're in a new building. Let me just start with Tom. Any Any new things that you're doing this year to keep the momentum going, get the ball rolling, et cetera? Yeah, I, we've been working hard on training new staff uh, because we have a, a veteran staff here. And there's been very little turnover in the building in the sense that uh, we've retained most of the people who were trained in collaborative problem solving under the grant that we received. But I'm sorry, oh, I did it already. <laughs> trained in Plan B since we received our grant. Uh, I even wrote myself a sticky note, collaborative and proactive you solutions. Can't do it. I actually like that you, better, you Ross, do just it. for the record. You can't do it. I filmed I can't do it. Hours. I've been doing this for five years, it. Ross. They're a habit. I know. Habit. I know. Uh, uh, oh, so anyway, the folks that haven't been trained in the model are, uh, uh, are currently reading the book and we're making some plans to support them in learning how to solve problems collaboratively and proactively. Well done. All right. Good well job. <laughs> So you're focused on the new staff. Um, what do you got going for them? Well, the first thing that we're going to do is have them read the book, and then my guidance counselor is probably going to work with them. We've been talking about what to do for a model. I think that the uh, the key really for me is that I, I've really come to firmly believe in experiential learning. So once they have a basic framework for the mindset of the work to do, the best thing to do is to jump in and work with a kid and have an adult work with you on that. So uh, I think that the, the you know the, the plan that, that I'm thinking about for this year is to, to have them read the book and then choose a child to work with and then have myself and the guidance counselor or a member of their team support them in that effort while they learn how to use the model. Mm -hmm. Notice cool. I didn't say collaborative problem solving. 
Bing. I didn't say it, though. I, I, I caught myself. <laughs> if you say it with small letters, I think you're still allowed to say it. I, I'm actually, Can I don't I say remember. it, like, really fast? Collaborative problem solving? Sounds more like but whatever. If, if you say it, as long as it's a small c, small p, and small s, and therefore is descriptive, you might be able to say it. So if you should happen to slip again, we'll assume that you're using a small c, small p, and small s. You got um, it. There you go. But we'll still ding you because that's fun. Uh, now, can we, right, it is fun. Can we still use the word CPS, though? CPS can stand for Collaborative and Proactive Solutions as well. Okay. Okay, but it has to be lowercase Which is the new name of the writing. model. What's All that? Right. But it has to be lowercase in writing, right? No, if the CPS is, refers to Collaborative and Proactive Solutions, it can be uppercase CPS. All right, thank you. Just wanted to clarify. As long as we've got all that straight. We're good. Carol, how you how you getting the ball rolling in your new school? Oh, well, <laughs> I, uh, I've got... No, no, no. Uh, it's just, you know, in a new building there's the, the list of things to communicate about yourself and about your philosophy and about how you work to a new staff is is huge, right? And so um, it's trying to find what I'm what I'm doing right now is being trying to plan strategically how to introduce it, how to build on it, how to find those key people that are going to be kicking it off and that kind of thing. So what I've done so far is I've set up in the school, hopefully, um, a bit of a mindset around inquiry because inquiry as a professional learning and professional growth model for educators is the direction that our school district is, is going in. So our school plans and, and school improvement plans are all based on a staff or a group of people within a staff um, choosing an inquiry question. So I've kind of laid the groundwork for inquiry, and I've purchased a few different um, books that to support different areas that people might want to undertake inquiry in, and one of them being social and emotional learning. I've got seven copies of the book on my desk that I've left out strategically as people, you know, are coming in to say hi and chat with me and like, oh, what's that book? And so I said, oh, it's a, it's one of the books that we're going to have uh, for people who are interested in doing inquiry along, you know, working with challenging kids. And so just trying to lay that groundwork right now. And uh, the other thing that I did was I was really explicit up uh, with my ex with um, expectations and um, a couple of the things that I shared with the staff. You know, our first staff meeting on the first day of school is, you know, there's so much you could talk about. And so what I chose to talk about was expectations, the expectations that I have of staff and, and one of the expectations being how they work with students, but also what people can expect from me. Because what I found was in my previous uh, school is sometimes those expectations weren't clear and people expected one thing of me as a principal in terms of discipline and I didn't deliver because of my own you know, alternate way of working with kids and that caused some some friction sometimes, and so I wanted to be really clear about um, the way that I, that people could expect if they're asking me to get involved in working with a student or if there's a student with challenging behavior, what they could expect. And what I found was interesting was as I was doing my talk about expectations, I realized that um, the steps that I'm taking in terms of working with students and what teachers can expect is the same thing um, about when parents have concerns, when teachers have concerns, when kids have concerns. It's really a lot of the same steps. And what I told the kids, I said, I'm going to listen to your concern or listen to the student's concern or listen to the parent's concern, and then I'm going to ask some clarifying questions so I can really understand what your concern is. And then uh, we're going to be working together to to try to come up with some solutions. And um, it was interesting as I started, as I was talking about it, that it's that it's applying across all those different types of people that we're working with. 
That it does. So I'm hoping uh, to at the we have a Pro D Day on uh, September 23rd, and I'm hoping to talk a little bit more about the inquiry groups and um, start some questions going. And I've already had a few people who have been talking with me about some children that they feel are going to, you know, they've already exhibited some challenging behavior. Kids that I don't know that well, which for me is one of the more difficult parts of moving to a new school. Um, I'm used to knowing the kids really well. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to getting to know them through this process. Yeah, I remember that one of the things you were not so happy about in your prior school is that somehow faculty had come, even though you were trying to help people do the model, um, you were often the lead person on doing plan B. Right. How are you going to keep that from happening in this school? Well, I think I'm going to involve um, involve staff, their, their teachers earlier. So, um, for example, let's say, you know, a student... Um, is having a difficult time and the teacher asked me to talk with them or asked me to just spend some time with them. Um, what I said is, you know, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm happy to listen to that child, but before we, I said, I, I'm not going to impose anything unilaterally that this needs to be work between us all. So um, what I'm hoping to do is to just, is to set up those um, conversations with the student um, and the teacher and and kind of get them familiar with it and then you know, encourage them and, and support them in learning how to do it for themselves. Because it is, you know, as far as I can tell, no one here has actually, um, is really that familiar with the model and no one's actually mm-hmm. done it on their own. You know, it's kind of new. So um, starting from square one. And, I mean, it, because it it seems like um, if you're the one to get the ball rolling, obviously, since they're not familiar with it, and you are the one who's familiar with it, you would probably need to take the lead. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking of also, though, doing like a core group or finding some way so that you doing it for them doesn't become the norm over time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as part of the inquiry group, whoever chooses that theme as part of their inquiry, um, you know, I'm planning on kind of going through a, a whole series of, you know, watching some of the videos from the website, um, you know, sitting together to do some role-playing and some practice conversations, and then, you know, meeting every couple of weeks to see how it's going and to kind of troubleshoot some of the ways in which, you know, sometimes the implementation can be a little bit tricky at first when, you know, you don't know what to say next or all those pitfalls that you've got in some of your really great videos that are available to help people learn on the website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tom, Nina, how did you both? And I don't, I don't know to what degree um, you feel that you've been successful in doing this. How successful do you both feel you've been doing at? You've been at not being the Plan B go-to guy or gal for the building. Nina, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. Um, I don't know. You know, I I think that I I have been the, um, you know, that we had a team that was the go-to team. So I I feel like it's shared with a with a group of us, and you know, it's gotten definitely throughout the throughout the years has that group has grown 
larger, so I think it might have started out, started out that way, but um, I don't see myself as the primary go-to, especially this year with when it, with some different structures in place. Tom, I think it it's so it's so hard when you're new in a building and trying to implement something new when you don't know the personalities of the people at the table because I think that if you're a new principal, a lot of times people kind of want to have your approval so that they can know that it's going to be safe to work with you um and and it can you can sometimes get a little more passive yesing, so to speak, from staff saying, um, yep, we'll do that, yes, we'll try that at first. And I think that it's critical for something um, to take, take root in those early days for it to happen. It really has to, there has to be a, a what I would call like a, a genuine organic buy-in by the staff. And I, I just have found over the last five years that the best way to get that is to really um, have them either experience CPS working um, or having uh, um, somebody do plan B with a child and be successful and then they see it happening maybe with a, a child in their classroom and then right. they want to ask questions. I, I, I do think having reflected on the work that went on in Sanford early on, Ross, and then the work that, that went on for you and I at the Lafayette School and then here at the Moore Street School, the one thing I'm convinced of is there's a core group of four or five teachers that are using um, this model and and having good luck with Plan B and talking about it, in the, about it in the teacher's room. That's going to fuel the fire for other people to want to try it faster than probably any other thing that you can do. The trick is when you're new, figuring out who those people are and, and getting them trained and on board. Mm-hmm. So that actually does sound a little bit like a core group. Um, yeah, I'd say uh, a lot, I would say a core group is a great way to put it, Ross. Yeah. 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 And, and, but it's hard and to start Carol, when you're new, right? What's that? I just said it's hard to start when you're new because you don't know really who the core group is in your building that, that could could do this this work at first. I mean, again, the, the yesing kind of masks the real core group a little, but it's different with every staff. Some staffs, it's pretty obvious. I mean, again, I want to be clear that, that this is not an exact science, and uh, administrators' ability to observe groups of people and their behaviors and, and the way that they perform can dramatically affect the, the how quickly they can be effective as leaders. So I, I don't know the group, and I don't know, you know. One of the things that I've that I've noticed here, I, in my previous school, I was coming into a, I was in a culture where the previous administrative practice was very punitive, um, and so I'm finding with with my current school, um, I don't have that to overcome, where you know I've got a childcare worker and a counselor and and the principal before me. I think we're all on a very similar page where we're working with students, not against them, and. You know, we're we're aware that sometimes our actions have a direct impact on students' behavior that doesn't all lie in the the child that we, you know, takes the two to tango. So I feel like just from the, the ground floor, there's a bit more of a foundation to be able to build the work on rather than having to come at something so totally different from what the what the faculty were used to. Tom, when you were at Lafayette if I recall, you didn't st- 
start trying to implement the model until maybe a third to a half of, unless I'm recalling badly, you had time to get to know your staff a little bit. My recollection is that we didn't start on day one of your starting as a principal there. Do I remember right? That is correct. We started in about November, early November, but the staff had already had quite a bit of training in the model previously due to the grant that the district had received. Not mm -hmm. everyone, but, but quite a few. So it was already rolling before you? A little bit. It took a lot less to jumpstart it than it did to start people out from scratch, for sure. Mm -hmm. There were still any... some people in that building that I couldn't get to, Ross. They weren't building. naysayers. They, yeah, they just didn't feel like they needed it, so to speak. And, and uh, you know, I, at that point, my skill with the model was still growing and, and saying to people, um, it was, it's easier for me to explain to someone why everyone needs it now than it was then. So that's where my skill grew. Because we all grow all the time, so we do things better every time we try. And now when someone says, I don't need this, I have all kinds of, of ways to work with people to kind of help them to genuinely see that everyone can can use this model, you know? Mm -hmm. I was asked by somebody this morning in preparation for a grant, um, what's the average length of time it takes for a school to implement the model? And I laughed out loud. This was a classic case of LOL um, because I said there is no average length of time. Every school is completely different. Um what you've done at Moore Street School probably had completely different timing than what you did at Lafayette. Mm -hmm. um, Carol, we'll have to get continuous updates from you on uh, how it's going. Well, I think any... part of well, Go part ahead. of what I appreciate about this program is that it gives me that um, accountability to keep doing what I say I'm doing. So I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> In other words, you're going to hear about it once a month if you're not doing it, right? Exactly. If I say if I say today that I'm doing something, you ask me next month how it went, I've got to have something to say. And you know we're going to ask, but but you've got it bad, so you don't need this program to um move in this direction. I get the feeling that this is uh deeply ingrained in your bones at this point. Yep. From the moment I read the book, Do you have folks who you feel like you've identified, um, who you think you've, you've named a few people? Are there people who you're already saying to yourself, um, this person's um, exactly where I'd like them to be? Um, you know, I don't know that I know people all that well yet. I, I know a, a couple of classrooms where I feel like it's a place where the work probably would need to be done. <laughs> whether people are open to it or not, you know. Um, like, I think Tom really hit the nail on the head about that passive yesing, where people want to please and they don't want to stand out as a naysayer. And so you do get some of that, you know. And I'm I'm very naive, and I always assume that people, when they say yes, they mean yes. And it's, you know, I, I assume the best intentions of everyone. So, um, you know, for right now, I'm hearing a lot of yes, you know, oh, yeah, that sounds great, or yeah, no, that's that's what we believe too. And, you know, it'll be when the work actually starts happening with kids. Of course, we're all still in a honeymoon right now, um, having only been in school for a week. That, uh, you know, we'll see who really starts to get some traction with it once we start needing the conversations. And, of course, when it comes to 
school discipline, the proof is always in the pudding. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're the principal, you know who's sending kids to your office. Right. That's hard to hide. I, I think there's Not another level, though, that's even harder to see, Ross. What's that? I think the harder level to see is the difference between uh, good teaching and incredible teaching. And the Mm -hmm. difference between good teaching and incredible teaching lies at the nexus of two things. The first is the teacher's ability to create truly meaningful relationships with the children, which is the heart and soul of um, Plan B. And then the other nexus that creates that is the teacher's skill at actually knowing what the students know and are able to do and being able to teach it to them so that the curriculum is learned and not just planned. So I, I really look at it like there's one layer where there are the kids who come to the office, which I agree with you completely about. That's, that's always a glaring place to look in the data. But then there's also a layer that's far more subtle but way, way deeper and way more important. The problem is that as principals, we can rarely get out of the, um, as Stephen Covey would call it, the emergency immediate needs to get to that which is really important. Say more. Well, if you walk into an excellent teacher's classroom, there are things that exist. If you study the the research about the first six weeks of school, responsive classroom, um, I've spent a lot of time this last two years at Columbia University working with uh, the Teachers College and Lucy Calkins and just understanding the instructional practices that they've studied for the last 50 years, when you walk into, or the last 35 years, when you walk into a teacher's room who can do those things, there's something intangible about the relationship between the teacher and the children. And there's only one way, really, to put it. If you, you know, It's like Harry Wong says, you know, that the kids walk through the door, the first thing they want to know is, does the teacher like me? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people misinterpret that to mean, I like you because I'm nice to you right now. That's not what kids are really looking for. What kids are really looking for is, do you care about me? Do you, is it important to you that I learn and grow? Are you going to be nice to me when I fail? Are you going to help me when I fail? Are you going to support me in taking a risk and making a mistake? Um, and that's a, there's a big difference between that and allowing kids to just do whatever they want and, and, and be, you know, it's complicated. But, but basically, you can feel it in the air when you walk into a classroom where um, this, the, you know, the, the student's bill of rights that's uh, on, on your website or, or the expectations of the responsive classroom are being truly implemented by the teacher and the kids know that the teacher cares because they ask them, hey, I noticed that when you were struggling with X, X Y, and Z, I, I noticed something was happening. What's up? I really want to help you. You know, I don't know how to explain it except to say that you can feel it. And I know that sounds great, but it's just like great music. You really don't know why it's great. It just is. <laughs> that's you know, that's true. I, though, I mean, it would be nice if we could bottle it so that we could say, here's what the teachers that fit that description are doing, and here's what the teachers who are not fitting that description are doing that we wish they would and not doing that we wish they would. There's got to be some key elements like if you said to me, um, Ross, how come you like X Y Z musician? 
um, and why don't we take John Mayer as an example? I would say, um, generally speaking, great lyrics, incredible guitar work, um, incredible musicians playing with him. Um, at least I've come a little bit closer. Can you get oh, us yeah, a little sure. bit closer to what you're talking about? <laughs> Well, well, I think that, you know, honestly, I bet Nina could, too, because I think that having worked a little with Nina at the beginning of my career and just knowing her, I, um, and Carol, I'm sure you can, too, I just don't know you as well as Nina. We're in the same state, but I, I think that, that the intangible piece really boils down to um, there's a huge difference between coming to work because you're being paid to be at work and coming to work because you love the work. Yep. And if you love yep. the work, the kids know it. You cannot fool a child because they don't know enough to let you lie to them like adults do. They don't care. They know what's real. My son knows when I'm frustrated or when I'm, I'm not in the mood to do what he's doing, and he knows when I am, and, and they respond to that. It's such a subtle... I don't know how else to put it. I mean, I'm kind of getting into, like, the, you know, I, my inner theories of human relationships, but I just think that there's a, a, there is truly, like, an, a kinetic synchronistic connection between people's true intentions in the world around them. And I don't know that you, you can't bottle it, but you can call it out. Right? just didn't feel like that was fun. It's kind of like you can't, be, you can't be a great musician if you're trying to be someone else. You can only be a great musician when you play from your heart who you really are, right. what you think and feel. Right. That's a gen that genuine... Yeah, it's hard Tom, to it sounds like you should write a book you should write a book called The Zen of Teaching. <laughs> it's yeah, well, true, that's though. kind of my it's... vibe, though. That's the way I approach music, too, so I guess it's the same world for me. Well, and I've, I've looked gift. up The yep. Zen of Teaching online to see if the title is taken already for you, and there's an article <laughs> uh, called The Zen of Teaching, not a book, but it says, and you'll like this, Tom, because you're a skier, it says a high school principal discovered that learning how to ski gave him new insights about teaching and learning. Yeah, that happened to me two years ago. Cool, I'll have to read that. <laughs> just just Google the Zen of teaching. I don't see that there's a book out there called that. If you can huh. you can bottle what you're talking about, you've got a book. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, the best part is, is that I, I really did learn how to snowboard two years ago. So, Ross, you know I'm right in that, right, buddy? <laughs> i got to read that article. I'm looking it up right now. You all keep talking. <laughs> and I, I can't write that book because, Tom, as you know, when I tried to snowboard because I was so lousy at skiing, I decided that what what did I have to lose by snowboarding? Um, my first time out, I fell so hard on my posterior that um, I decided that it really no longer made sense for me to try doing this anymore. I started too late in life and not having fun while simultaneously being freezing cold, they just it just the math didn't work anymore. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you got to push through until you get the groove, Ross. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> you got to push through until you get the groove. The groove. <laughs> I gave up hope on getting the groove on. There is no Zen of skiing for me. It wasn't going to happen. <laughs> okay. Um, Nina. Um, we're not going to ask you about your skiing, but um, it did sound no, like please don't. While, I was, <laughs> while I was busy rambling on, um, it did sound like you were going to weigh in on bottling the ingredients of the kind of classroom teachers Tom's talking about. No, I think I was just going to agree with everything 
Tom was saying that it's it is that feeling and it is hard to explain, but it's also I think it's the consistency that it's um, the kids know that that feeling or that thing that's hard to describe is always there. That connection's always there. It doesn't waver because I think that's to me that's what's um, that's the most helpful for children when they know that it's you know it's never going to change. They always know what the expectation is and that it's not one day it's going to be. Uh, more plan B and then the next day it's not plan B. So I think that's part of that magic, that's that masterful um, art of teaching that's there. Carol, any ingredients you want to throw into the hopper? Well, as Tom was talking, I, I was recalling sometime last year, I think, and, and we were talking about um, teachers, and I think it was Tom who said, you know, he also subscribes to teachers do well if they can. So... You know, I I always believe that just as Tom does, that people are at work because they want to be at work. They are teachers because they feel a passion for teaching and for working with children. And if things aren't going well, or if things aren't, um, if that's if there's that spark that's missing, then there's a reason for it. And as administrators, I mean, we're we are you know ma- managers of grown-up people as well. And so I think there are lots of ways that we can support people. And it all goes, it all ties together when you start working. With challenging kids, it might be the challenging kids that are causing um, your staff to to feel defeated or to feel unenthusiastic or to feel just overwhelmed. And you know, when when you can support them in in solving, helping to solve some of those things, it leads to greater confidence for the teacher, and then they can get their spark back, and then the kids feel that love, and it all just kind of builds on each other. So it's all like a web. You know, it's interesting in my work with parents and teachers, but I'm thinking more about parents at the moment. As a clinician, it's always sometimes, well, not always, but it's often obvious which parents are really connecting with their kid, not unrelated to like being their best friend, but just which parents really get their kid at an intuitive level, which parents um, connect um, and I've often thought to myself, what happens if that can't be taught? Because I actually think that a good part of that is instinctive. And it's, it's, um, I think that it correlates with are you here because you really love it or are you here because you've got to be here for a paycheck. But, of course, parents don't get a paycheck. Um, and, uh, you know, a behaviorally challenging child in your household or your classroom um, will make it even harder to come if you're um, not loving what you're doing. But I've often thought to myself, um, if I can take an adult who isn't instinctively connecting with kids and isn't instinctively attuned to kids and sort of isn't instinctively just loving hanging out with kids, if at a bare minimum... I can get them to do the three steps of plan B proactively. If I can get them to listen to the kid and really listen and ask good questions and really come to an understanding of what's getting in the kid's way, even if they don't, if that can be taught, even if it doesn't instinctively come to somebody, if I can help the adult put their concerns on the table, and that I find isn't that hard whether this is somebody who instinctively and intuitively gets kids or not. 
And if I can get the adult to collaborate with kids on a solution that's realistic and mutually satisfactory, then I have just made it possible for someone who may not instinctively get kids, connect with kids, but I've made it possible for things to still work, even if they don't instinctively come by it naturally. What do you all think of that? Oh, I think a lot of things, but I'm going to let Carol speak first because I've, I've kind of hogged the airtime a little today. <laughs> no, I think you're fine. You haven't said the, the bad words for at least 35 minutes, so you're doing well. Wow. But go ahead, Carol. <laughs> That's right. um, no, I think I think so because it's if it isn't natural, but you're setting up some conditions to at least start to allow, sometimes it comes from the child first, to have the child feel valued, then so it, you know you get that initial thread going between them and you know, for some people it is natural, and for some people I do believe it can be taught. And I think it can be nurtured and it can be developed through some coaching, and um, I think you're absolutely right on that part. Nina, what do you think? Oh, I think the same thing. I'm just thinking of parents that I've been working with over the years and, you know, that just needing different levels of support, and it's all some – just as we work with our children, that it takes – Sometimes the support takes a long time, and some it doesn't at all. So, I do. I believe that that connection and that it just you know it needs a, a coach or a mentor or time and patience on and relationships from our end too. So those relationships that we build with parents um, and with teachers—that's what makes all of the difference. Do, do you have teachers who you can think of who? Three years ago, you would have said that, and of course, we're not naming names. That person really doesn't connect with kids intuitively or instinctively. Who you would now say, you know what? That person's come a long way in that department. Anybody come to mind? <laughs> not, not by name, obviously. Hmm. Well, I think, you know, in my school, I. I mean, I just have such a, a wonderful staff that relationships are what what is what is important to them to the core. So, you know, that we've always had that, and I think that's what makes it work so well here is that that relationship with each other, with with the children, with the parents, and um, you know, so that we if we do get in, have bumps in the road, we can talk about it and work through it. So I feel really fortunate. So it's uh, we have a. Um we have a biased sample at your school. Tom, what do you think? I do. <laughs> it could be me. <laughs> I, I, I actually have to say that being an outsider who came to this school three full school years ago, this is my fourth year, that this staff is also, which is very, no, I'm not even going to say that. It's, they, they are totally about relationships here. I mean, it really is a fantastic school. And I think that, that uh, um, and not only are they do they believe in the kids, but they are, uh, really committed to it i think the hard part is for anyone is that even if you care about kids it, it still takes some some skill so i loved what you said ross that you kind of when you're working with parents that that are frustrated with their child that that i can't imagine that anyone could hold a little baby in their arms and think oh someday we're going to have a horrible relationship <laughs> you know so at the core of their very visceral being, they have to probably want to be able to deal with their child. And I think that 
glad you got the joke, Nina. By the way, um, but but I'm saying it. You know, it really Uh-oh. is kind of. I think I did. Well, no, but, but keep going. Oh well, no, the joke was just like I can't. A little bit of dry humor, just that can't imagine that. Obviously, that anybody would hold their little baby and be like, oh yeah, someday we're going to duke it out about you know whatever, or have arguments and and. But we do, and 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 I think sometimes it really is just as much about skill as heart, because the best teachers will come into school and make you feel like a million dollars even if they're having the worst day ever. And that's the part that's hard to bottle. Mm-hmm. Well, it's that, yeah, that I, balance between the art. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I guess just I that. Can that's what you're saying. Somebody looking at their newborn baby and saying, I'm not even sure I want to be doing this. Or, yes. I'm not sure I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting. It is. We're out of time. It is so. I nice. know we need a show for that one, Ross. It is so <laughs> nice to have you all together again, and for us to be doing this again. Let's do it again next month. What do you say? You Sounds bet. great. Sounds good. Talk to you then. Have a good month. Bye. 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 <laughs>